the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, I hope you're doing well this Tuesday at lunchtime. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks for joining me for this today's version of the Country Hour. Uh, we're on the program, we're going to head out into the Gulf Country where the Pungalina Wildlife Sanctuary has this week, it's been burning, aerial burning. You might think that's a bit of an odd time to be doing it, smack bang in the middle of the wet season. Uh, but the manager there, he says he's seeing as good a results as he does in the dry. I know it sounds a bit weird because the temperatures are a lot hotter, but because we have the moisture in the system, the ground's moist, we get nearly the same effect because the moisture in the system keeps a lot of the fires down. So most of those fires yesterday didn't even get up to your waist belt high. Also today, uh, Meat and Livestock Australia has launched its annual lamb ad. Have you checked it out? We need to send a message. Let the world know we're still here. How? Man. Just got to get all of Australia on board somehow. Well, at least 80% of them. I know a guy. A national lamb rollout? <laughs> yeah, that is the Meat and Livestock Australia's annual lamb ad. It features the regular characters there, Sam Kekovich, all the sort of big production. Um, if you haven't checked it out, uh, just jump online and search for Meat and Livestock Australia lamb ad. It's worth a watch. If you've got some thoughts on it, if you've already seen it, let us know what you think. 0487 99 1057. But first up today, uh, let's talk weather. A tropical cyclone warning has been issued for the Gulf Coast from Nulamboy to the Northern Territory Queensland border, including Groot Island, Numbawa, Port Roper and Port MacArthur. Uh, so there is a watch zone extending to the inland areas east of Beswick, but not including Beswick itself. Um, so, yeah, tr- ex-tropical cyclone Tiffany, it moved into the Gulf of Carpentaria early this morning. It is expected to redevelop into a tropical cyclone later today as it tracks west, uh, where Category 2 tropical cyclone impacts are possible. This stage, it is tracking sort of straight towards Groot Island, expected to make landfall early tomorrow morning there. Um, So, Tiffany, it crossed the Cape York yesterday, dropped some pretty decent rainfall. Um, Some figures from the Cape there, 229 millimetres at Holroyd and 164 millimetres at Southwell. Uh, so some pretty decent rainfall figures. Uh, there'll be plenty of cattle producers uh, in the Territory hoping that cyclone will peter out into a low and just drop some nice steady rain across the northern parts of the Territory. Uh, whether it will do that remains to be seen. We'll get some more detail from the Weather Bureau at five past one at the regular time. Um, also just being issued is a severe weather thunderstorm warning. Uh, for damaging winds and heavy rainfall for northeast Arnhem Land. So a band of severe thunderstorms on the western edge of the ex-tropical cyclone Tiffany. It is moving from south to north across the east Arnhem district. Uh, So thunderstorms have just gone over Groot Island and they are heading right now towards Nullumboy. If you have a look at the Nullumboy radar, there's a pretty strong line there that is just about to smash into the town. So um, you might even be getting some winds ahead of that if you're in the Gove Peninsula now. 
Um, if it starts raining at your place out there in northeast Arnhem Land, please let us know. Be our weather correspondents. As I said, we'll be chatting to the Weather Bureau at five past one for all more details. If you have any questions for the Bureau before then, please send us a text on 0487 uh, hi, it's Dwayne Klinkamer here on board the Austral Hunter, part of the Northern Prawn Fishery, and we're in the Mooring Basin, or better known as the Duck Pond in Darwin, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Twenty-five minutes to one here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Well, have you been in a supermarket recently and seen some empty shelves? Uh, I've noticed it here in some Darwin supermarkets, especially in the meat section. A lot of the sort of cheaper cuts, like mince and the chicken, are all sort of sold out or not on the shelves. It is all due really to supply issues caused by the pandemic, so worker shortages in shops, in distribution centres, and even meatworks right across the country. Uh, for Tim Nelson, who runs two butcher shops in Alice Springs. Their supply has been a little slow, but he says his stores are getting enough in stock. Uh, It hasn't been too bad. A little bit slower with um, supply in Adelaide and stuff because they're struggling to get a bit of stock. Um, Yeah, so a bit of a domino effect from they get stuff from Melbourne and then the truck to supply is a bit harder to get to Adelaide. And Adelaide to us, it's just a bit harder. Why is that supply slowing down? Uh, I think it's more to do with some of the trucking companies. They're losing workers. Um, I was speaking to a supplier today, and they had um, staff shortages, so they're cutting down on staff um, and running different shifts, so less workers, less meat being produced. What sort of uh, price impacts have you seen as a result? Um, mainly the, um, the well used to be cheaper cuts of dearer um, and just supply and demand on a few few of the um, higher priced meats as well but yeah mainly the cheaper cuts of dearer now because everyone's gone for the cheaper cuts which really supply and demand go dearer How much uh, extra money are we talking here? Oh it could be up to like five bucks some things um, I know like oxtail that's jumped up to like nearly five bucks extra a kilo, so it'd be getting nearly dearer than like rump and porterhouse now, which is yeah incredible. And uh, how's Milner Meats dealing with that? Uh, we do alright. I think we um, think because we buy in bulk, we can try and hold the price, and um, yeah, just try and hold the price a bit better because we buy bulk of everything. If you go to some of the supermarkets in town, um, a lot of their meat sections are absolutely stripped. There's no supplies at all. Are you noticing more customers coming through the door at the moment? Yeah, we have noticed heaps. Um, And we're gaining a lot more new customers and they're coming back because normally a lot of people do their shopping, you know, Coles and Woolies because it's convenient where we're getting the smaller customers coming through and um, we keep seeing them coming back now, so it's, it's not a bad thing for us. We're getting a few more extra customers and stuff like that, yeah. With this uh, slower sort of supply coming through from Adelaide, um, can you see a light at the end of the tunnel, or is it really just beginning? I think it's just beginning for us. I think because we're 
fair bit behind all the bigger states. So it'll be interesting to see within the, this year, see how we go. Um, I think we're lucky enough we've got the farms to keep a lot of our own beef and lamb. Um, but the chicken and pork side, not too sure. But I know the price of meat just to buy bodies is dearer. So uh, we just can do what we can at the moment. Yeah. What does that higher price uh, sort of mean for your business? Yeah, just hopefully we can hold the, the price long enough for the customer. That's the biggest thing because um, we don't want to go too high and you know, be unaffordable for people. So, yeah, just try to keep it the best price we can do for customers. That is Tim Nelson. He's from Milner Meats in Alice Springs and he was speaking there to Hugo Ricard-Bell. Well, the Tees Abattoir in Narracourt is one of the meat processors around the country that have been hit pretty hard by COVID. Uh, it's a location where a fair few Central Australian cattle end up. So 140 workers have tested positive at the site. And SA Health has allowed some of the staff who've tested positive but are asymptomatic to actually keep on working to help maintain food security. Uh, but Shara Anderson from the Meat Industry Employees Union says this isn't good enough. Uh, she's speaking here with Cassie Huff about what she's hearing from workers. Well, I think in the first instance, they're a little bit shocked to be directed to go and work against uh, alongside of um, positive cases without any consultation whatsoever. There were some concerns earlier last week as well with people presenting with symptoms and uh, the workers don't feel the process was uh, dealt with adequately. What was the process? Uh, well, we had people reporting with symptoms that were then administered Panadol and told to get back on the line. Um, hours later, they were tested positive. Their then house members or, or people that they lived with were remained to be on the line as they didn't have symptoms. Um, and, you know, two days later, they too were tested positive, obviously um, asymptomatic. However, you know, not everybody's going to have that reaction if they do become positive. Um, unfortunately, some people, as we know, are falling quite ill. And our concern is, well, if we're going to be working alongside of positive cases um, without any distancing or, or even consultation to the workforce, well, how long is it going to be before we all have them? I, I hear you've just reported 140. Um, yesterday it was only 100. So and you know, when, when does it end? <laughs> And with the, the staff working next to each other, I understand that st the management has said that, that there would be social distancing and people would be split up. Is that the case? Are you hearing that that is the case on the ground? Uh, no, we're, we're hearing the complete opposite. There hasn't been social distancing in avatars since COVID had hit. It is very hard to social distance and the company is not going to sacrifice product um, in order to space them out. When it comes to actually working out whether people do have COVID uh, or not, what sort of testing is being done as well? Will they have access to rapid antigen tests or PCR tests? Uh, I believe they have access to both. Um, we're trying to get SA Health to confirm that they have, in fact, set up the testing sites down there um, for the PCRs, but we are aware that people are being tested. That's not the problem. The problem is that they're positive and remaining to work alongside, so we now identify people as being negative by different colour hairnet. Right. Which is just astounding. Um, that tells me they're, they're the minority, not the majority. If 140 workers are taken out, though, would that see the, the plant close? Have you heard anything along those lines? Um, well, depending on the people that are uh, infected, obviously there is some real crucial positions. 
um, as there is in any business. Obviously, um, not everybody can perform every job within uh, within the chain. So, obviously, there would become a problem at some stage, but we're just dumbfounded as to why we're not operating under the same instructions and messaging that's been happening and been forced upon all of these other sectors as well where we shut down for the, the couple of days, we have that good clean, you know, and we don't allow those that are positive to come in. I mean, if you have to slow the chain down, by all means, but their warehouses are full of meat. You know, rest assured, people need to stop panic buying, shop locally. Uh, it takes a little bit longer for things to get through to the supermarkets than what it would at the butcher shops, but... In this particular case, we're talking about one abattoir that deals with one species of meat. You know, my question is, if we all get infected, where's the next team of people that are going to come in and do your processing? I don't see them there. And beyond on-site, from speaking to your workers, what concerns do they have about uh, their families and perhaps community as well? That's their main concern. That is absolutely their main concern, um, is bringing it home to, to their families. Uh, obviously, everybody has a different situation. Um, some have young children, some have elderly that they're looking after. Every, everybody's in a different situation, as I'm sure everybody can relate to. But that is 100% of their concern, is that they bring it home to their families and then their families further go out into the community. So what is your plans now for engaging with Tease Australia to work through some of the issues that your members have raised? Uh, we've written to Tease, we've written to the government, we've written to Safe Work SA. Uh, we're really asking for some consultation um, and for them to listen and address the concerns of their workers. But they are the workers, they are the team that processes this meat day in and day out. We need to protect them. Um, I understand the supply is, is a concern to people, but without these people, the supply will stop. That's Shara Anderson. She's from the Meat Industry Employees Union. She was speaking there with Cassie Huff about the COVID situation at the Tees Abattoir in Narracourt in South Australia's southeast. Uh, that's a place where a few, a few Central Australian cattle end up. Uh, the ABC has contacted Tees Australia for an interview but hasn't heard back from them as of yet. Um, but in a statement to the ABC, SA Health said they're working closely with management to ensure the business can continue to operate safely and continue food production at the site. Uh, hi, I'm Max Emery. I'm the proprietor of Desert Garden Produce, Central Australia, the Bush Tomato King. When I'm out picking every day, my wonderful hour spent you know, on the radio is with the country hour. Fifteen to one this Tuesday afternoon. There are 32 patients in hospital with COVID across the Territory, but the NT government says only 11 are classified as acute admissions. There is one patient being treated for COVID in ICU in Territory hospitals. Uh, here's the Acting Chief Minister, Nicole Madison, giving a COVID update a short time ago. There were 594 cases of COVID-19 in the Northern Territory in the 24 hours to 8pm last night. 303 of these cases were from positive rat tests. There are now approximately 2,600 active cases of COVID-19 in the Territory, which represents about 1% of all Territorians. Now I just want to turn to the community of Yuendamu. 
There were three new cases in the reporting period in Yuendamu, bringing the total number of cases associated with Yuendamu to 18. We have sent in additional resources to Yuendamu to support the response on the ground when it comes to testing and vaccination. But one thing I want to say, which was very disappointing, was that we only saw 11 vaccinations in the last 24 hours in Yuendamu. And we are talking about a community with a vaccination rate of 65% first vaccination and 41% uh, double vaccinated there for people over the age of 16. We really need to see an increase in the vaccination rate in Yuendamu. So in the meantime, as we know, we've had to extend uh, the lockout of Yuendamu and Yulamu uh, for that further five days in recognition of that low vaccination rate. That is the Acting Chief Minister, Nicole Madison, giving an update there on the COVID situation in the Territory. As usual, you can watch that full conference press conference on the ABC Darwin Facebook page. So just recapping there, 594 cases in the Northern Territory. This is to the 24 hours to 8pm last night. There's 32 patients in hospital with COVID across the Territory, but 11 of those are classified as acute and only one in ICU with COVID. It is 12 minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Hello, I'm Dr Norman Swan. Peace of mind can come from knowing the facts. And this is a time when Australians are increasingly worried about COVID-19. And when you're worried, turn to a trusted source. The ABC is covering this epidemic day by day, hour by hour, with the experts. For more information, go to abc.net.au forward slash coronavirus or health. Time now for a bit of a tune on the Country Hour, a bit of Slim Dusty. Uh, Then we'll be heading to Queensland where, uh, sadly, there's been a lot of livestock lost in floods over there. Uh, But first, this is a classic. Oh, it's a lonesome away from your kindred and all. Well, have you seen some of the footage of floodwaters in southeast Queensland over the weekend? Over a metre of rain fell in some parts, um, and west of Gympie, uh, there was a lot of damage to crops, farm infrastructure and to livestock. Um, And tragically, a teenager and a 52-year-old man are both still missing in the floodwaters. Uh, At the community of Tansy, dozens of horses are still missing or have been killed in those floodwaters. Uh, Jen Nichols is speaking here with Tansy Show Secretary Julie Cunningham. It's devastating, yeah. Um, yeah, I personally haven't been affected too bad, but I know these people personally, and yeah, it's hard, it's hard. Can you talk me through how the flood emergency unfolded here? Um, we just had sort of heavy rain Friday afternoon and it just did not ease up all night. Um, some of our water comes from Kilkeven Way, so we've got their water as well. Um, ourselves, we recorded three, uh, 420 mil of rain and it's just come down in such a hurry that no one was prepared for any of it. So, yeah, it's a lot of water in a short time and took us all by surprise. And what animals were at the showground? What happened here? Um, we had a whole heap of horses on the ground, so I couldn't tell you how many in total. Um, one of our 
um, the Tansy Polo Cross president. He had a lot of his horses here. We had another person that was a polo person. He had 11 horses here. Um, the polo fella, he got three of his mares on his on his truck Friday evening, and by the time he went to go back to get the others, he couldn't find some of them. He spent the night over in one of the yards trying to save his stallion. Um, he thought he'd lost him. He spent the night on a post over there. Um, with the floodwaters? With the floodwaters around him. He said the water raging through was just incredible. Um, he was rescued Saturday morning and another person out of a tree here. Um, so he thought he'd lost everything um, except for the three horses on the truck. Um, yeah, and then by Saturday afternoon, some of us got down here on the grounds and we found, um, we rescued the three horses off the truck and the dogs and found um, his stallion over in the yard still alive. He'd been treading water for probably 10 hours and quite well, you know, he was still in good spirits, that horse, and doing well. Um, We found two horses on the veranda of the Polo Cross Canteen um, shed. They they were jumped off and walked out Saturday afternoon. Um, More horses have been found um, Sunday morning alive, which was great. Um, there, there are dead horses here on the grounds as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it's yeah, horrific. <laughs> to see that stallion alive and well after such an ordeal for its owner, oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, we didn't actually see the owner that day, but for us that were standing over on the highway over, you know, three, three bridges away from the grounds and could only see water, and to see three, the three horses come along first and then we see the fourth one and we're just like, what is that? And then when we realised it was the stallion, we were, we were just ecstatic and, you know, so pleased. And it was a nice little happy story that came of the day for us. And um, I know the owner, he is absolutely, yeah, um, he's just ecstatic that the horse has survived. So that is really good for him. So, yeah. That is Julie Cunningham. She's from Tansy, which is near Gympie in southeast Queensland. She was speaking there with Jennifer Nichols. It is five minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Well, there's no doubt that battery-powered cars are on the rise, um, but how about battery-powered trains? Uh, Rio Tinto has announced plans this morning to trial four battery electric trains in the Pilbara. So these trains, they will use solar-generated power to run, the idea of helping to cut the company's carbon emissions. Uh, Rio Tinto's Richard Cohen, he says, this trial, it'll all kick off in 2024. Look, this is a really exciting part of our journey towards our target to get 50% emissions reduction by 2030, not only in the Pilbara, but worldwide. For the Pilbara, our rail fleet and our locomotives are one of the big diesel users. So starting the journey to reduce those emissions is a really important step. And these four locos will really help us chart the course for pushing forward on the plan to upgrade all of our locomotives. So these four battery electric trains, how much did they cost and where exactly in the Pilbara will they be trialled? So these four locomotives uh, will be trialled as part of our main fleet. So we currently have 220 locomotives in our fleet. These are the first four, so we can learn about them, we control them. They'll be running production trains with some support probably from some diesel locomotives, uh, but we'll also use them for testing to see how they integrate with the rest of the system as well. Has Rio used battery-powered, battery electric trains elsewhere, or is this a first for the company? 
Uh, this this is a first for us, and it's really part of working together with a partner in Wabtec to build the capability and the capacity of battery electric locomotives. We need them to have quite a high horsepower rating, and this will help as we work together to really build that that, that optionality for us here in the Pilbara. And globally, where else are people using them? Uh, so, look, this is a developing technology all over the world. Uh, the size of battery electric loco that we are purchasing from Webtech actually doesn't exist in operation today. So that's one of the exciting parts of this journey is we're going on this journey together to build it, design it, develop it, so we can really use it here, first probably of anywhere in the world. I understand it's still being developed, but is it planned that they'll have the same capabilities as trains currently in use in terms of, for example, how much they can carry? Uh, so they, these locomotives won't have quite the same power as our existing diesel locomotives, but we want to buy these four and then continue to work with Rabtech to, to build that capability so eventually we can do a, a one-for-one replacement between a diesel locomotive and a battery electric locomotive. And these trains, they'll be charged at purpose-built charging stations at the port or the mine. Uh, where will that energy come from? Will it be a renewable source? Yeah, absolutely. As, as we strive to get our 50% reduction in emissions, one of the other projects we're doing in the Pilbara is building a gigawatt of renewable power before 2030. And so that will be the primary source of power that we get throughout our network. So lots of exciting activities going on in our focus on emissions and the renewable power feeding battery electric locos is a really exciting solution. So how long will it take for the trains to charge or their battery to charge? So that's actually one of the things we don't know yet. That's why we're buying four now as part of our testing and our piloting. We're going to learn about how they work in our network. We'll get some recharge actually from the braking system on board the locomotives when they're running and we'll also have to recharge in locations. We need to learn that as we develop the solutions. And if it is successful in that uh, 2024 trial, what will happen afterwards? Uh, then Then we hope to have higher capacity locomotives and progressively work our way uh, through upgrading the fleet and upgrading maybe purchasing new, new and may also be about retrofitting some of our existing locomotives. Would the end goal to be replacing the entire fleet with battery-powered trains? Uh, over time, absolutely. Uh, we want to be in a position where we do achieve the 50% reduction by 2030. We also want to make sure by 2030 we're not procure, procuring any more diesel locomotives. And progressively, as we stretch towards the goal of zero, we'll absolutely plan to replace all of our locomotives. Richard Cohen, he's the Managing Director of Port, Rail and Core Services for Rio Tinto, and he was speaking there with Samantha Gerling. It is fast approaching one o'clock. Up after the news, we'll be heading to the Weather Bureau to get the details of ex-tropical cyclone Tiffany, which is heading towards the Territory Coast, and, of course, that severe weather warning for the Gove Peninsula. I'll speak to you in five minutes. Hi, this is John. Um, I sell pigs here in the Darwin Rural area and make great pets, very clean to have, and you're listening to The Country Hour. G'day there. Thanks for joining me wherever you're tuning in across the Territory this Tuesday lunchtime. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. wonder if you've seen 
Meat and Livestock Australia's annual lamb ad, which has just come out this week. We need to send a message. Let the world know we're still here. How? That's it. Lamb. Just got to get all of Australia on board somehow. Well, at least 80% of them. I know a guy. A national lamb rollout? Yeah, it's full of the usual characters, big production, lots of cast members, all that sort of thing. Uh, we'll be taking a closer look at that ad before one thirty today. Uh, but there's a bit going on in the weather today. Uh, we've got Rebecca Patrick joining us to explain it all. G'day, Rebecca. How you doing? Good, thanks, Dan. That's the way. Uh, now, let's start off uh, with the severe thunderstorm warning for northeast Arnhem Land. What can you tell us? Yeah, that's right. We've got a um, a line of storms that have moved up from around the Centre Island area earlier this morning where there was a 100 kilometre per hour wind gust uh, this morning that's moved up over Groot Island and is now heading towards um, Nullumboy, Gapawiyak, that sort of area um, over the northeast part of Arnhem Land. So, um, yeah, there is potential for some damaging winds with that um, and also possibly some heavier rainfall. Did that line drop much rain at Groot? Um, not a great deal. Um, I think we saw about 30. 30 millimetres from that, so um, probably not quite to the heavy rain thresholds, but um, yeah, still reasonable rainfall. Yeah, just looking at the radar now, it looks like it's fasting approaching uh, Gove Airport there. Um, if anyone's out in northeast Arnhem Land and it's started raining at your place, please let us know. 0487 uh, now, this line, um, is it associated with ex-tropical cyclone Tiffany? Um, and what can you tell us about um, the approach of, of, uh, of that, uh, that low at the moment? Yeah, it is associated with, with ex-Tiffany. Um, it's pretty typical when you get cyclones and um, deep low-pressure systems to get these bands of, of storms coming off the um, periphery of it. Um, so, cyclones... So Ex-cyclone Tiffany didn't have a good uh, night as it traversed Queensland, so um, it was downgraded below cyclone strength, but it is now in the Gulf where um, we could see some more favourable conditions for further redevelopment into a cyclone uh, perhaps later today. Um, uh, That is tracking westwards towards the Northern Territory, so... um, our latest track map does have that moving pretty close to Groot Island tomorrow morning and um, and then after that tracking a further west across the uh, top end. Um, so potential for that getting up to a Category 2 tropical cyclone uh, before hitting the coast. And we do have that cyclone warning area for potential for, for gales extending from Nullumboy all the way around to the Queensland border area. Okay, so at this stage we're sort of estimating um, it could uh, cross the Groot Island coast at around 10am tomorrow morning at a Category 2. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, getting up to Category 1 overnight and then um, further intensifying tomorrow before hitting the coast as a Category 2 system. Okay, and do you expect it to go far inland? 
Uh, yeah, it is expected to continue tracking inland. Um, so, yeah, over the next couple of days, heading across the, the base of the top end, basically, is the most likely scenario. So um, in line with uh, around that Catherine area, potentially, over the next couple of days. So as that moves across the top end, we are expecting some um, fairly large rainfall totals uh, through that base of the top end area. Um, so there is a potential for flooding over coming days, and we do have a flood watch advice out at the moment. Um, and that may be upgraded to warnings over the coming days as we start to see a bit more rainfall falling. And, and where's that flood advice for? What rivers? Um, so at the moment it's for the Carpentaria coastal rivers. Um, so that includes Groot Island, Waterhouse River, Roper River, Towns River and Walker River. Um, that may be extended a bit further west as well um, as the, the system um, is expected to move westwards over the coming days. Uh, for those in Catherine, can they expect to see uh, much water come down the Catherine? I would expect so, looking at the rainfall totals that we're expecting, um, that system is expected to track quite close to Catherine so um, expecting quite a lot of, of rainfall that um, could uh, see some river rises around that area as well. And as it peters out into a low um, as the system heads inland um, just what places could um, receive some rain on the back of that as it heads south? Yeah, so basically right across the top end should see some um, reasonable rainfall totals. Um, there is a bit of variation in our model guidance in terms of, of where it um, ends up after a couple of days. Um, but yes, uh, there is a chance to move further southwards and that will um, drag some of that shower and storm activity further south as well. Uh, so we should see um, showers and storms spreading into uh, the, particularly the northern Barclay um, and potentially further south as well. Okay. Um, just having a look at uh, today and the next few days for Central Australia, how are conditions? Uh, so in the centre, we are still seeing those hot conditions um, expected over the coming days. So, um, yeah, Alice Springs, uh, for example, is sitting on 41 for a number of days expected, um, not really dropping below that 40 degree mark until um, next week. So it is expected to be quite a hot week ahead for um, southern parts of the Territory and we may even potentially see some um, getting close to, to records in some parts. Okay, where might be the hottest places in the centre? Um, so yeah, for the next couple of days, it's the hottest temperatures that we're seeing is probably around the Tanamai district where we're getting into um, potentially those mid 40s, um, which yeah, that's really not very comfortable. But basically, um, everywhere, Barclay, Tanamai, Lassiter, Simpson districts, they're all experiencing temperatures around that um, above 40 degrees for the next few days. Yeah, okay. Alrighty, bit there to keep an eye on. Um, thanks for the update, Rebecca. No worries. Thanks, Dan. That's Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. 14 minutes past one. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. You're on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Well, when you hear of people doing savannah burning to help reduce 
severe fires later in the year. And most of the people, they're doing that sort of work in the dry season. Um, but the team at Pungalina 7 Emu in the Gulf of Carpentaria, uh, they've been out in choppers lighting fires this week. Uh, it's known as storm burning, according to Gavin Evaner, who manages the sanctuary there, about 150 k's to the southeast of Borolula. Uh, he says uh, fires at this time of the year, they have a similar effect to dry season cooler burns. The benefit to burning for us in January is we get a similar sort of result as far as the coolness goes. I know it sounds a bit weird because the temperatures are a lot hotter, but because we have the moisture in the system, the ground's moist, all of the humus layer at the ground level is wet and the bark is fully saturated, we get nearly the same effect because the moisture in the system keeps a lot of the fires down. So most of those fires yesterday didn't even get up to your waist belt high. So even though it's quite warm conditions, because we're burning with the available moisture, that keeps the fire right down. But we do do a combination of um, early dry season burning and storm burning. So it's a combination of the two things across the sanctuary. Right, it is very hot at the moment. It's uh, 43 degrees in, in Borroloola today. But how have you managed to control those fires okay? And how, how, where are they at at the moment? Oh, look, so the, the controlling these fires is actually um, is no real issue because they're burning between previously burnt areas. So they're burning between some of the early dry season burns. And then there's a mosaic which we've been setting up over well, Pungalina, Australian Wildlife Conservancy has owned Pungalina and the Seven Emus section of the sanctuary for um, 10 plus years now. So there's a well-established mosaic across the landscape. So those mosaics then set the boundaries for the fires to which we light. So those fires that we lit yesterday, they're very well controlled by the already existing fire mosaics which are in the landscape so that they don't actually get too far at all they pretty much stuck to the lines which we actually flew yesterday. Right, and th- this isn't the first burning that you've done uh, this this wet season. Uh, you, you also burn off some country in November. Take us through that and, and how it's looking now. Yeah, so we, we, were able to, we were able to start in November because we'd already had between six to eight inches of rain in most cases, which is more than adequate. So what we do is we just wait until we have at least 50 mils of soil moisture down and we wait till the bark on the trees is fully saturated and we got those conditions. So it's a matter of we look for a set of conditions more than a timing. So we started to get those conditions in the first uh, week in November. We went burning. Now that country that we burnt back then, that grass is already fully matured and it's already set seed. So most of the grasses and the sedges in those areas are now set up for the whole season. So that seed reserve and that grass recovered itself somewhere. It was around about six to eight weeks it took to recover itself back to fully set seed, which is quite rapid recovery. Looking at the the NAFI website, Gavin, uh, it doesn't look like there's much of this kind of burning uh, during the wet season. Is it very common uh, for for you there at Pungalina? So yeah, look, we we've actually um, we've actually, we do storm burning every single season. So we, but the problem with it for most seasons is you don't really see most of it on the NAFI website because. Most of the times when we're storm burning, we have a little bit of cloud cover and you only need a little bit of cloud cover and then you don't actually get anything to show through the cloud on NAFI. So 
we um, we normally map this ourselves because nothing normally doesn't pick it up. Just yesterday, we had one of those freak days where it was crystal blue, clear skies, and whether that's because everything was getting pulled across to the cyclone over in the Cape. And um, we got the got the burning done, and Nathy had full view of everything that we're doing. So most years we get a similar type of a result, but we just don't get it mapped on Nathy. We have to map it ourselves normally. So, yeah, yesterday was just one of those unusual days, crystal blue, clear skies, and we got a really good feedback through the uh, the satellite imagery. And so what does the rest of the, the year look like for you out there at Pungalina? <laughs> Well, if this is any indication, um, to have 19 inches of rain at this point in time is quite astonishing. So um, I hope we don't get flooded, but this could be the year for it. It's it's had a big season. But um, one really nice thing that we do have, it is beautiful. It's emerald green. All of the areas that we burn in early November just look amazing. I mean, they're, they're, they're up to your waist belt high with a full set of seed on them. So really, from a landscape point of view, it looks spectacular at the moment. You wouldn't see the country looking any better than it does now. That is Gavin Emmerner. He's from Pungalina 7 Emu Wildlife Sanctuary. It's about 150 k's to the southeast of Borulula. And he was speaking there with our Catherine reporter, Max Rowley. Uh, we've had a text here from Matt from Umbacumba near Groot Island. Uh, he says it's still raining on Groot. Uh, the wind has dropped off a little bit for the meantime as the storm heads up to go. Thanks for that text there, Matt, on Umbacumba. Uh, it is 20 past one here on the Country Hour. Time now for a tune. Then we're going to check out Meat and Livestock Australia's annual lamb ad. Ganga Jang there with Sounds of Then. Well, Meat and Livestock Australia's annual lamb marketing campaign was launched this week. Uh, the main joke of the ad focusing on how isolated Australia has become during the pandemic, including, of course, a few cracks at state premiers and WA and Sam Kekovich was in there, of course. Our reporter, Jane McNaughton, took a look at this year's instalment. Travel Australia like no other place on earth. Thank you, I've explored the four corners of the globe, from Darwin to the southern tip of Tassie. Trust me, there's nothing else out there. I'll explain this. After years of international border closures, it's easy to forget there is a whole other world out there. Until you read the country of origin labelling on your kid's teddy bear. Forgot about China. But we've forgotten there's a whole world out there. And do you know what else happens to the country if we're isolated for too long? People learn the names of the state premiers. Yeah, but also the rest of the world forgets about us. We need to send a message. Let the world know we're still here. But how? MLA's Graham Yardy is hoping the smell of fresh lamb on the barbie will get people booking tickets back to Australia. That's it. Lamb. We took this upon ourselves to say, well, if lamb is the uh, is the meat that brings people together, then uh, what better way to potentially bring the world back together and bring Australia back to the world when, with a uh, inviting the world to a, a lamb barbecue? A national lamb rollout? About bloody time. 
industry body has been running comical advertisements for over a decade to try and boost sales of lamb over the summer period, reporting that last year's advertisement generated an additional 16.8% in sales. A lot of marketers and people in advertising talk about, you know, bringing fame to brands and I think it, it, it has been, it's sort of become something that is anticipated by people. Um, it, it, it carries the brand a lot through the year um, and, you know, a lot of people associate Lamb with with this summer campaign and, um, you know, icons like, like Sam Pekovic who's been in the, in the ad as well. So all of these things just help to keep Lamb top of mind. It's, it's very hard to cut through um, these days as a marketer. It's very hard to get noticed and so to have people almost uh, wanting to know when your ad is going to drop you know that's a it's almost a luxury as a brand so you know we're very cognizant of that we're very very mindful that we need to make that work for uh, lamb producers and make sure that we we don't squander that opportunity but we do get those sales and we do make sure that we're building on the brand and building on past successes planes This year, the ad is celebrating Australians and international travellers finally being able to get back together again for social and economic benefit, with a shout-out to some of the struggles other agricultural commodities have faced since the borders shut. Good to see the Victorians finally out of the house. Well, look, the French are here. Backpackers. Thank God we don't have to pick our own fruit anymore. There's a, there's a truth to it, you know. It's, it's one of the challenges that we faced, um, you know, by being isolated that... We've got a face into those things, and it's one of the news stories that that, that made headlines. And um, and yeah, so look, I mean, it's a it's a reality. So um, and you know the the challenges that we face by being isolated, um, you know, are very real. And I think that's one of the things that we, we did want to call out. I told you there was a whole world out there. So where do you think you'll go first? I think I'll stay here a little longer. That is Jane McNaughton there they, with that report as she was speaking to MLA Domestic Market Manager Graham Yardy. Uh, time now to check in what's ha- happening in the cattle markets. Sam Hart has the details from Roma's first sale of the year. Good afternoon. Roma opened up with 2,641 for the first sale of 2022. Cattle were drawn from the local supply area alongside a few pens from the southwest of the state. Buyers remained active on feeder pens and most categories opened up at similar levels to last year on restocker lines. Heifers were still selling at the time of this report. Lightweight restocker steers under 280 kilos sold to a top of 895.2 with most sea muscle lines around 800 cents. Restocker steers returning to the paddock sold to 860.2 to average 740 cents while medium feeder steers sold to 722.2 with most around 630. Heavy feeder steers made to 614.2 to average 550 cents and heavy steers to kill sold to 426.2 to average 400 cents. Lightweight restock heifers made to an isolated 806.2 with most around 700 cents and medium weight heifers to feed sold to 656.2 at the time of this report. Thanks for that, Sam. They're at the first sale at Roma, Sam Hart. And that is it for the Country Hour for today. Uh, for more weather details... About that severe weather warning for northeast Arnhem Land and the Cyclone Watch for ex-tropical Cyclone Tiffany, which is expected to redevelop and head west towards 
the Northern Territory Coast, Groot Island more specifically. Um, yeah, just stay tuned to ABC Radio and ABC TV throughout the day. I'll bring you more details on tomorrow's Country Hour. Have a good afternoon.